Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Everybody say amen. Amen. Say amen. amen. Revelation chapter 13 and Revelation chapter number 16. I want to read two passages to you. Revelation 13, and the reason I'm reading these is because we're preaching another, a second part to something we started last week called the politics of Jesus. If you're a first time guest, you came on the right Sunday. The politics of Jesus. That's enough, Jansen. Thank you, brother. Revelation 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast that rose up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. And it spoke like a dragon. Don't you love that? It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf. And it makes the the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound had been healed. Now, if if already I'm reading this and you're thinking, great, he's going to preach on, you know, chips in our hand. That is most certainly not what I'm going to be talking about. Because that is most certainly what Revelation is not talking about. Worship the first beast whose mortal wound had been healed. It performed signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in the sight of all, and by the signs that it allowed to perform on behalf of the beast. It deceives the inhabitants of the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that had been wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast could speak and cause those who would, worship, who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Also, it causes all, small, great, rich, and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell who does not have the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let anyone with understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. Amen. (laughs) All right, so if I wanted, I opened our Revelation class like this, and we'll read chapter 16 in just a minute, but if we were to play a little, little word association game, right? Meaning, when I say a word, what words immediately come to your mind, right? Like if I were to say, Alabama Crimson Tide, the immediate word is pure, sheer dominance. Right, Wes? Y'all are offended. If I were to say the word Michael Jordan, what should come to your mind is the greatest of all time. Right. If I say words like LeBron James, what should not come to your mind is the greatest of all time. But if I say, if I say the book of Revelation, immediately our minds light up with words like rapture. Right? Except the rapture's not in the book of Revelation. At all. Like, not even implied. But that doesn't matter. That's what we associate with it. Because we've heard it enough that we believe it. I say it all the time. We don't believe what the Bible says. We believe what we believe the Bible says. The Bible is never called into question, but our readings of it do need to be called into question. Help me preach this this morning. When I say the book of Revelation, we think rapture. And then we think, Antichrist, not mentioned at all, not once, not a single time, never mentioned. Now listen, okay, I'll have to hit pause on this before I go any further. Look, I'm going to teach something this morning, and I really want you to open your heart and your mind. And after this is over, if you're not feeling it, you can pull your charts back out and do all of that. Okay, that's fine. But I want, I want, I'm giving you permission to not believe me. That's fine. After this is over, pull out the charts, post the Facebook post, store up the food, pray for the end. 
practice your wilderness survival skills. Okay. Because it's going to be scorched earth pretty soon. But until then, give me, give me 20 minutes. Can you give me 20 minutes? Say, I'll give you 20 minutes. And the, and the clock is ticking. Antichrist never mentioned in the book. Never mentioned. And we said, well, the beast is the Antichrist. I don't know where we came up with that. We just say that. We don't really make arguments for what we believe. We just make claims. Beast is the Antichrist. Really? Yeah. Everybody knows that, don't they? No. Not at all. I was talking about the book of Revelation at a class in Hamilton one time. And some girl was reading me the, the verses about God's filling up, filling up the bowls of wrath to pour out on Babylon. In the book of Revelation, I said, yes, who's Babylon? She said, America. Everybody knows that. News to me. And I've read this book for years, decades. Y'all see how we associate things with this? We say book of Revelation, we think rapture. We think antichrist. We think mark of the beast. Mark of the beast. Which is mentioned a grand total of once. Or we think, this is one of our favorites. And I'm terrified, I shudder to think what it says about us. But this is one of our favorites. The battle of Armageddon. Mentioned a total of once. We're missing completely what the book's talking about. Do you know what is repeated over and over and over and over again? He talks about the lamb. Over and over and over. He talks about God being seated on his throne. Over and over and over. He talks about evil being fully, finally defeated. Over and over and over again. We don't believe what the Bible says. We believe what we believe the Bible says. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? The book of Revelation is highly, highly political. Every word in it is political. I'm going to show you how in just a minute. The reason I wanted to teach on this is because if all you do is read Facebook, you're going to need medication before long. Okay? How do we make sense of what is going on around us? How do you make sense of all that as a Christian? And our challenge is most of the time, we don't try to view these things through the lens of being a Christian. We view it through the lens of whether or not you're a Republican or whether or not you're a Democrat. And that's the lens, that's the gauge through which we view the world. And none of that is appropriate for the Christian. Because I need somebody to help. Y'all got to help me out this one. Because our king and his kingdom transcends all of this. It is above all of this. It is infinitely greater than all of this. I don't want to know what is the party line for the red or the blue. I want to know what does Jesus have to say to me about this. We are more, we are Christian before we're American. We're Christian before we're Republican or Democrat. And if you chafe against that, if something bridles in you against that, if you kick against that, good. Good. Because we have taken what is considered the values of our country and turned them Christian. And they're not. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying they're evil. I'm not saying they're vile. I'm just saying they're not Jesus. You with me? The book of Revelation is highly... Highly political. Whenever you read this book, what you're really reading is you're reading John paint these incredible political cartoons showing what God is doing and how God is working. Now, let me say this to you. This is a very controversial statement. I posted on Facebook one time, all hell broke loose. Okay. But listen to me. And I... Just, just, just breathe. Just, just breathe deep. Take a deep knee bend. Just listen. Okay. The book of Revelation is not about us. What? What? The book of Revelation is not about us. 
The book of Revelation is for us. It's not about us. The book of Revelation wasn't even written to us. Again, we don't believe what the Bible says. We believe what we believe the Bible says. John tells us who he wrote the book to. Who did he write the book to? To the seven churches that are in Asia. This is what God showed me. The book of Revelation is not to us. It's not about us. It's for us. God is speaking to us through it, but it's not to us and it's not about us. If you read Revelation and find Facebook, you missed it. If you read Revelation and find CNN or Fox News, you missed it. If you, find, if you read Revelation you find China or Russia or any of the, you missed it. Okay? I did, not, I did not figure this would be so controversial, but here we are. We're too far in now. There's no turning back. It's for us. It is not about us. It's for us. It's not to us. Now, when we read the book of Revelation, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I want you to think we have to think about these things the Jesus way. When we read the book of Revelation, we are, writing, we are reading a letter written to seven churches. He wrote one letter and passed it around to all those churches. And this is, what, this is who he's talking to. He is talking to the church churches that either compromised with Roman power or was being condemned by Roman power. This is what this means. I, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. Just hear me. In the time of Jesus, Rome ruled the world. They ruled the world with violence, with war. They called themselves the kingdom of God. They called their leaders the son of God. They called their leaders the prince of peace. They believed they were God's mechanism to bring the kingdom of God to earth. That's what Rome believed. That's what empires do. They believe that they are God sanctioned to establish his kingdom. But God does not bring his kingdom through any empire ever. God brings his kingdom through his church who does not rule with the sword, but they rule with a towel and with a cross. Okay. That's the difference. So when John is writing this letter, there are Christians being persecuted and murdered. Rome is oppressing its own citizens. They are violating them. They are breaking their backs through violence, through raping and pillaging and unbelievable taxation. They are destroying people's lives and calling it the kingdom of God. Calling it the kingdom and the gospel of peace. And John writes a letter into that situation and says, this is how heaven views this. There are some churches that are compromising with that power and championing the cause of the empire. And then there are other churches being condemned by that power. And to the churches that are being condemned and murdered by that power, John's word is you need to hold fast because there's a crown of life waiting for you. But to the churches that are compromising with that power, which I believe is the picture of the American church, John's message is you better repent and go back to your first works. You hearing me? What do I mean when I say that the American church is compromising with power? We have become deeply nationalistic. What that means is we have so conflated American values with Christian values that we can't even separate the two. So we think if America does it, God does it. If America wants it, God must want it. Now, back up and say, I love living in America. There's nowhere else I would rather live. I'm not condemning a country. I'm condemning our perverted ideas about a country. That we are blessed and thankful to live here, but this is not the kingdom of God. And if your favorite candidate gets elected, that's not the kingdom of God either. You hearing what I'm saying? 
Vote for whoever you're going to vote for, whatever. But that is not the kingdom of God. So quit equating Christianity with that. Because it's not that. It's not that. As Christians in America, when you look at the political landscape, you should feel homeless. Because the values that God has put on the inside of us transcend all of this. And I can't find a home in this. They're right on some things. They're right on some things. They're right on some things. things. All of them a little bit crazy. Right? God is not trying to raise up far left, super woke, social justice warriors. That's not the plan of God. God's not trying to raise up pro-Second Amendment, gun-toting, America, Confederate flag-waving, right-wing people either. That's not God. This is, this is. What am I doing? I'm looking at all of it and saying, no. No. That's not what the Bible says. When I flip on the news and they start quoting the scripture, I about lose my why I just about lose my mind. You do not know what you're talking about. And if you want to get on those arguments on Facebook about Republican or Democrat, that's have at it. Go get them, Tiger. But that's not what the Bible said. This is why our Christianity cost us something if we're going to do it right. And we don't like talking about these things because we're afraid of what it will cost us if we really, really, really follow Jesus. John is saying, if you compromise with oppressive power, God's going to judge it and God's going to judge you with it. As the church, hear me and hear me well. And I've said this, oh, about a thousand times. And I'm going to say it for the rest of the life of this church. We are called to stand by the suffering. 100% of the time. Jesus is on the side of the suffering, not on the side of the perpetrator. 100% of the time. Now, if we believe that to be true, who are you going to vote for? If you believe that to be true, there's no answers. We crave simplicity. We crave option A or option B. Make it, make it simple, preacher. When I leave here, I need to be clear. Who do I vote for? Jesus. Right in Jesus. Who do we vote for? That's how we we think about political things, and we never view it through the kingdom of God. Now watch, watch. Again, after I'm done, you can pull your chart back out. That's fine. But for now, humor me a bit. Whenever John's writing the book of Revelation, and he starts talking about the beast, he's not talking about the Antichrist. Okay, let's, let's, let's pretend for a moment he's not talking about the Antichrist. What John is talking about is he is talking about the power, the perverted power of empires. Okay? He's talking about the perverted power of empires. He even paints a picture over in Revelation chapter 17, I believe it is, where there is a, 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 a prostitute riding, a be- riding the beast. And she's under the influence of the dragon. And if you lived in the first century, you knew exactly who John was talking to. You knew exactly what John was saying. Rome had their goddess. Her name was Roma. She was, it was equivalent to our Statue of Liberty. That's who they worshipped. That's who they believed in. That was their goddess. And she was clothed in purple because purple was the color of the royal deities of Rome. And John, when he writes his book, he doesn't write about this beautiful goddess of Rome. He turns her into a drunken prostitute. Riding the back of empire under the influence of the dragon, which is Satan. 
and he looks at Rome and he says, this is what God thinks about empire that, it, that inflicts and wounds and maims and harms. This is what God thinks about any structure that would perpetuate racism or inequity or injustice. That it's not, the sh- it's not this beautiful, shining Roman goddess. It's a drunken prostitute under the dominion of the dragon. That's what he means when he talks about the beast. Okay? Now, we get to this chapter where he starts talking about the mark of the beast in your hand or in your forehead. And for whatever reason, I do not know. We made this about computer chips. Can't figure it out. It's been about all sorts of things. It used to be about barcode labels. When barcodes started being put on products, the church lost their mind. Then it became about social security numbers. That's the mark. We used to preach Ronald Reagan was the beast, was the Antichrist, because Ronald Wilson Reagan has six letters, six letters, six letters, six, six, six. So pardon me if I don't buy into your latest theory that you say is your interpretation of the book of Revelation. There's a scripture in Psalms where David says something interesting. He says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And what's his answer? Those that have clean hands and pure hearts. Now when he talks about having clean hands, is David talking about literally washing your hands? What's he talking about? Your deeds, your actions being purified, right? We know that, right? And he says in Revelation that the mark of the beast will be in your hand. So is he talking about a computer? No. Y'all remember when they started ID tagging pets? And you put the GPS chip in your dog in case he runs off, you can find him? I saw people building bunkers because they were IDing pets. This is the end. This is what John was not talking about. Putting a device so you didn't lose your golden retriever. That's not what John was talking about. It is all it has never been this quiet in the history of a sermon in Hope Unlimited. Why is it so quiet? Because we really want Revelation to be all the stuff Facebook said it was? Because it gives us a reason to live. It gives us some drama to attach ourselves to in our otherwise mundane life. <laughs> Find a hobby, man. Find a hobby. Train jiu-jitsu. Play golf. Take up painting with Bob Ross. He's on Netflix now. Doesn't matter to me. Find some meaning other than all of this. And then he says the number of his name is 600, three score, and six. And when you lived in the New Testament era, when you lived in the ancient world, you knew exactly what John was saying. They had a habit of taking letters and turning them into numbers. And so you could under, I could write my name numerically. And you knew who he was talking about. And when John writes the number 600, three score, and six, he's not talking about. It, it takes a special kind. It takes a special kind of self-centeredness and self-absorption to think that John's writing a letter to Christians in the first century who's being beheaded by Rome and what John's really talking to them about is us. I know y'all are being burned at the stake, but listen. Twitter's going to come out. Y'all think y'all got it bad now? Yeah, and after I'm done, pull the chart back out. Tell me I'm a heretic. That's fine. That's a special kind of self-centeredness. I know you're being pulled apart with horses, but John was mainly concerned with my Apple app that allows me to not carry cash. (laughs) That's a special kind of egotism, isn't it? I know, I know, I know, John. I know that you're being, I know you're being boiled in oil, 
But what the revelator had in mind was Venmo or Cash App. I mean, really? Do we really? No, we don't really believe that. Not when you put it like that. He knew when, they, when he writes 603 score 6, they know exactly who he's talking about. He's talking about Nero, the king of Rome. And he's saying, when you align with that power, you've already received the mark in your thoughts and in your actions. You're thinking like the empire and you're acting in harmony with the empire. And I'm afraid we have loads of Christians that have received the mark. Because we are wanting to be more nationalistic than Christian. Because instead of us embracing Christianity that says we before me, we would rather embrace America first. And Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. (laughs) As if the election wasn't challenging enough, now you got all this to think about. And I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me well. I'm not hating on America. I'm not. I'm not hating on America. I'm not hating on on, on our country. I'm not. I'm hating on the idea that we equate this with the kingdom when it is not that. And it's not almost that. That's That's not what this is. And I don't care who you vote for. They are not Jesus. Jesus is Lord. They are not. And no matter who gets elected, Christianity is not going anywhere. It survived for 2,000 years. It survived Rome. It survived persecution. It survived martyrdom. It's going to survive four years of us might be paying a little bit more taxes. Jesus. Why is it so quiet in here? It's deafening, isn't it? I'm afraid we've taken the mark. I'm afraid when we compromise with power that oppresses and say this is Jesus. When when our cry is law and order instead of truth and justice. We've compromised with power. In our heads, we've taken Nero's mark in our heads. That's just one passage. I got a whole nother verse to read. Flip over to chapter 16. (laughs) Y'all like, that TV preacher I've been listening to for 25 years has been lying to me this whole time. And I have sent him so much money, and he sent me so many trinkets because I sent him $25. (laughs) I decorated my whole Christmas tree with all the swords, with the the Word of God written on (laughs) it. Oh, man, I need to shut up. What am I going to do with my little statue that I sit on my mantle that preacher sent me? things this could turn into a stand-up comedy hour quick but i'm not gonna let it look at verse six chapter 16 verse number 12 the sixth angel here's one of those verses we love we love we love these verses you ever notice how we love the verses of violence in the bible we like love them it says so many things about us but we love them yes saul go kill all the babies we're just like Saul disobeyed God. You got to read that right, man. You you reading it you, when it's when it's never mind. Revelation sixteen verse twelve, the sixth angel poured his bowl on the river Euphrates. Its water was dried up in order to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And all my Revelation students are going. We know what this is about. Prepare the way for the order of the kings of the east. 
And I saw three foul spirits like frogs coming from the mouth of the dragon, from the mouth of the beast, from the mouth of the false prophet. These are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world, to the kings of the whole world, assembling them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. See, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and is clothed, not going about naked and exposed to shame. And they assembled them at that place that in the Hebrew is called. You don't have your Bible on the screen, do you? You didn't bring it. Armageddon. I had somebody send me a meme the other day. They, uh, they were, uh, they posted something, they sent it to me, and they were real excited about it. It was supposed to be Jesus at the battle of Armageddon. Okay. And this, this picture was Jesus, he's dressed in a white robe. He has long hair. He is whiter than me. Perfectly shaped beard. He's wearing, I don't know what those things are called, but he's wearing just reams of bullets over his shoulder with an assault rifle. He has an American flag tattoo on his arm, and he's smoking a cigarette. And they send this picture, and they're like, this is the Jesus that's coming back on the white horse to kill everybody. It's like, good God of mercy. This is the Jesus that's coming back on the white horse, and he's going to kill all the wicked in the battle of Armageddon. I read that in the red. It's all through Revelation. It's not mentioned once. It's all through Revelation. It's all through there. Let me explain. Let me, let me explain something. When John is writing, watch, John is painting a picture of what's going to happen to the kings of the earth. Who's John talking about? Roman power. Oppressors. Power that is corrupt and breaks the back of the poor and the hurting and the suffering. And he said, you are going to be judged at Armageddon. That does not mean at the end we're going to get in the greatest fight you've ever seen on any movie and Jesus is going to win after he kills all the wicked people and the Democrats. That's not what that means. When he talks about Armageddon, Armageddon was, is a particular place in Israel. It actually means the Mount of Megiddo. And it was a place where battles were fought all the time. It was actually called the Lake of Fire. And John says, this is what is going to happen to power that oppresses. Jesus is going to judge it in the Lake of Fire. And that's what happens when we side with oppression and oppressive power. God judges us in the lake of fire. That is the same picture we have when we preached about last week about the rich man sitting at his table clothed in purple. Remember purple? Remember Rome? Clothed in purple with Lazarus sitting at the gate. But the end of the story is the rich man, Rome, being punished in the lake of fire and the the beggar, Lazarus, being taken to heaven and enjoying bliss. That's what God does because God is not on the side of the oppressor. God is on the side of the oppressed. All through the book of Revelation, he calls Rome Babylon. He calls Rome Sodom. Did God judge Sodom? Not a trick question. God judge Sodom? And why did God judge Sodom? This is our knee-jerk reaction. Because there were homosexuals living there. That's not why God judged Sodom. God tells us why he judged Sodom in Ezekiel. He said, I judged them because of how they treated the poor. I judged them because they were an oppressive power. Because they exploited. And they were unwilling to help and unwilling to give a handout and unwilling to lift somebody up. They were about me instead of we. So I judged them. He calls Rome Babylon. He calls Rome Sodom. He also calls Rome Egypt. What is the story of Egypt? They are oppressing God's people. They are oppressive powers. 
so at the this is the politics of Jesus. We never side with that that is oppressing or hurting another. That if we are for the kingdom of God, listen to me and listen to me good. We are for the good of everybody, even the people that are not your same skin color. No, 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 no. If we want the kingdom of God, God is for the good of everyone and everything. That means we are for the good of the people that don't even live in this country. That means we are for the good of those that don't even worship like us or serve the God that we serve. We are for them. We are for the transgender. We are for the homosexual. We are for the single mother. We are for the aborted baby. And we're for the mother that did it. These are the politics. If, if I win and you lose, that is not the kingdom of God. And I know we live in our neighborhoods and our gated communities. And it's so special to live in a gated community because that means some of us get in and the rest of us have to stay out. But Jesus' way is we all get to live in the gated community. I'm not talking about socialism or communism or capitalism or any of that other stuff that you don't know anything about except you read half a Wikipedia article on. I'm not talking about any of that nonsense. I'm talking about how Christians are supposed to be toward human beings. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we tend to not care what happens to everybody else as long as it does not happen to me. That is not loving our neighbor as ourself. Huh? You with me? Because if we love our neighbor as ourself, that means I will fight for the brown skin brother or sister. I will fight for the black skin brother or sister. I am for your good, whatever that means. I'm for your good, even if it costs me. This is the difference between being American and being Christian. This is what this means. How do we make sense of this? This is how. I'm for whoever is for the good of everyone. Why do you make sense of that in America? You don't. Good luck. (laughs) Never mind. God, when we pray... For God's will to be done. We're praying for the good of everyone. We're praying for the good of everyone. And that doesn't mean, and that means that if you don't have, I don't judge why you don't have. I'm gonna help you have, however that looks. No, no, no. That means if you don't have, how can I help? Not, well, you should have made better decisions and you should have got a college and you should have. The Bible teaches personal responsibility. Okay. The Bible teaches that. But the Bible teaches our responsibility to the community even more. Bear one another's burdens. What that doesn't mean is you send a text that says, I'm praying for you, and you and I both know you ain't praying about it at all. That's, that's the Southern Christian's version of bless your heart. When we say bless your heart, what we really mean is it sucks to be you right now. When we say I'm praying for you, we're like, man, I'm glad I'm not going through that. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus said, if you do this to them, you are doing it to me. We don't love him if we don't love them. We love him rightly only by loving them rightly. And you know what? You know what I know about everybody in this room? I know this hurts, but everybody in this room, you know it's right. You know that we've lost sight of completely loving our neighbor as ourselves, And that doesn't mean the person that lives in the $500,000 house beside you. That means the young Mexican kids in the country beneath below us that can't get in are getting locked in cages. That means we love them too. 
That means the single mom that is working four jobs to pay for that kid that we wanted her to have and we're not willing to help her out. Said that and it got weird again. We're for the good of everybody. If we're Christian, we're for we're for the good of the Muslim. If we're if we're Christian, I didn't say we condone. I didn't say we agree with. I didn't say we affirm. I didn't say we champion. I didn't say any of that. I said we're for their good. That's what loving our neighbor means as ourself because we are for our good. Every decision that you make is for your good. And Jesus says, I have to break that vision off of you to the point, to the point that we are so about ourselves. We thought John was talking to us when computers came out. That's how, that's how inwardly focused we are. That every, every verse in the Bible has to be about us. When God told Israel to go kill all the Canaanites, what God was really saying is for the founders to go kill all the Native Americans. It's got to be about us. Just rub you the wrong way, good. But, the, but deep down, you know it's right. What does this mean for us? What does this look like for us? To embrace the politics of Jesus. What it looks like. Is no matter what it costs me and you personally. We fight for the good of our neighbor. And if my neighbor fights for my good as well. I'll be fine. What does this look like? This looks like we before me. That's what this looks like. You, and, and this is what's challenging. You can't even preach a sermon like this without people taking your words and trying to shove them into categories. For the good of everybody. Oh, he's a liberal! Gated community. He's a Republican. We can't even talk biblically about these things because we are saturated. We are saturated with nationalism. And we desperately need to become Christian again. Do you know how... I, I, I was shocked at this. Now... We preached, and I'm shutting up. Jansen, come on up, bud. I preached a series of messages here several months ago. Y'all remember about becoming an anti-racist church. right? And our church responded so beautifully. I, w- I could not have been more proud of how our church responded. All races in our church, how they responded. I was so proud. Oh, man, this is, we get to talk like this. We get to talk about Christianity for real. And then I would post things online and minister friends of mine, people that I've preached in their church and ran with for years, won't even talk about the topic, won't even have the conversation. Mention racism, conversation over. Mention the good of everyone, conversation over. Over. That shows just how unchristian we are. That shows how unchristian we are. When everything we do is filtered through the lens of how does this affect me? Everything. Instead of, how does this affect us? How does this affect us?
And when I mean us, I don't mean Knoxville. I don't mean white people. I don't mean straight male Pentecostal. When I say us, I mean all of us. All of us. If we are for Jesus, we are for the good of everybody. That's what Jesus is for. He's for the one that doesn't look like you. He's for the one that doesn't act like you. He's for the one that doesn't speak English. He's for the one that doesn't want to live here. He's for the one that does want to live here. Jesus is for the super woke person on Facebook that drives you crazy and you have to cut it off before you cuss. Jesus is for them. And Jesus is for that person that you perceive to be a gun-toting redneck. Jesus is for them too. Why can't we say that? That offends us. To think that Jesus is for somebody we don't like. To think that Jesus is for somebody we deem is beneath us intellectually or morally or philosophically. They're just not as informed as us. They're just not as woke as us. They're just stupid. Jesus is for them. And God is only, listen, God is only against us as we are against them. we are against them he is against us that's why he said this is what I do with power that oppresses all power is not evil but power that oppresses is evil he says this is what I do with oppressive power I judge it in the lake of fire I break it I crumble it I make no I'm not saying America's gonna I'm not stop you're reading too much stuff I'm telling you God is not on the side of the oppressors ever ever but have we taken that mark in our thinking and in our actions that I'm for me and me first me and me only because that's not the politics of Jesus stand on your feet Lord, we're living in a crazy time. And we need your discernment now more than ever. We need your wisdom now more than ever. We need your spirit to lead us and speak to us and show us what to do now more than ever. How do we live like this in the world that we're in? How do we, how do we be, how, how do we stay Christian in a world that is so profoundly unchristian? Lord, every, every sense of selfish gain, self-absorption, self-centeredness anything in us that is willing to push another down if it means I get to raise up just another level God crucify that in us I need you to pray that with me God everything in me that would push down another in order to exalt myself crucify that in me look at me church look at me I want you to think about that that willingness in us to take from another to amass more gain to ourselves, to push one down in order to lift up ourselves is completely contrary to the kingdom of God. What does your Bible say? Humble yourself. If you want to be the greatest, be the servant of all. It is Jesus washing his disciples' feet and then saying, you're not greater than me. The servant's not greater than his master. If I'm going to do this, then you do this. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. If, listen and hear me, this is what I came to say. If I 
and for the good of everybody, then God will be for the good of me. And when God is for my good, there is nothing that he would withhold from me. Oh, glory to God. If I'm for the good of everybody, then God is for the good of me. That's why your Bible says, watch, your Bible says, if you give to the poor, you are lending to the Lord. And that God will repay you with interest. And when God repays you with interest, when the Lord of heaven and earth who owns a cattle of a thousand hills, who said all the silver and all the gold is mine, when he pays you, when you loan to him and he pays you back with interest. That's what I'm talking about. If I'm for the good of everybody, God will be for the good of me. And when he's for the good of me, there is nothing he will withhold from me. Now, go home. Get out your blood moons book, your charts, and find out where I'm wrong, and that's fine. And if you disagree with me on all that, then at least agree with me on this. Jesus has called us to be for the good of everybody. Jesus has called us to love our neighbor as ourself. Amen. Would you give Jesus one more prayer? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.